0: Well, I want to say what a joy and a privilege it is to be able to be here on this special Sunday for a number of reasons, obviously, because you're welcoming your new pastor to your community, even though he's in quarantine. And uh, we're sorry that it had to be that way, but uh, we're living in uh, kind of some unprecedented times. And uh, Lord is blessing, even in the midst of this pandemic and the things that are happening. Um, It's also a joy for me to be able to be back in a gathering of fellow believers in the house of the the Lord, to be able to worship together. It's been two and a half months now that I've been uh, participating in worship from my living room. And while that's not normal for me, one of the very positive things about that is I actually get to attend about four or five worship services on a Sunday, which I couldn't do that in a month if I was traveling around to meet all those places. So it's a real joy to be with you this morning and, and also to celebrate in this time. We've been during this time we've been having prayer gatherings with pastors across our state just to try to stay connected to pray for our churches, pray for our members who have been sick, pray for just God's will to be accomplished during this time. And in this prayer gathering on Wednesday afternoon, I actually shared with them this last week that uh, guess what? Whitecliff Church now has a pastor in there. He's actually on site. And uh, so they began to ask, said, White Cliff Church? Is that that one down in Texas?" <laughs> And I said, no, it's not that one down in Texas. It's actually that one down in Ketchikan. And they're like, I didn't know there was a White Cliff Church there. I said, yeah, it used to be known as First Baptist Ketchikan. So anyhow, they've been praying and, and excited with you about your new pastor coming. And uh, I also want to just say to Alan and Sarah and to the family, how much uh, we are, how excited we are about your presence here in Ketchikan. Sorry that you have to be in quarantine and can't be with us on this special Sunday. But uh, we're excited that you're here and, and uh, just looking forward to some amazing things that God's going to do in the presence of this church. This isn't the first time I've been in this church and, and I always love coming down here. I love the fellowship with the folks. I love the worship. I love just uh, the special time that we have together. So it's a real privilege for me to be here today. I just want to share a few words. Most of these are directed to, to Pastor Alan and uh, but I also want your church to hear this and understand because you're going to be the ones that are going to be supporting him during this time and encouraging him in these ways. There's basically five priorities that I think are very important for a pastor to remember. And these are things that I've learned in experience in the past as I have pastored, as I have led out in, in ministry. And I think they're, they will be um, priorities that are important for any minister as he leads out in a ministry. The first thing is, the first priority in, in the life of a pastor, as, we, as it is for any of us, is to have a commitment to a relationship with the Lord. If you don't have that relationship with that Lord, a fresh daily encounter with the God who saved us, you're not going to be a good minister. That starts at the foundation of everything that you do. And so, Alan, I encourage you to always make God your number one priority and that relationship with Him your number one commitment. The second commitment you should have is to your family, and that comes second after God. You have been chosen to be not only the, the husband of Sarah, the father of those three children, and the fourth that's coming, but uh, also you have a specific responsibility as the head of your household and to lead them and to care for their needs. And so it's very important that you make that commitment even before you make a commitment to this church. Your first responsibility is to God. Your second is to your family. Your third commitment, of course, is to your church, the church that God has called you to, this wonderful uh, gathering, a fellowship of believers who are looking to you for leadership and for guidance. And not just in this local church, but we are part of the worldwide church, God's church around the world. And we are part of a Uh, an expanding kingdom that God has called us to be a part of. And so, Alan, I pray that you will commit yourself to leading this church, to be on mission with God and to try to reach its community, to reach our state and to reach our world for Jesus Christ. The fourth commitment I want to call you to is a commitment to this community of Ketchikan. There are lost people all around us, even within less than 200 yards of this church. There are people who need to hear the message of hope, the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. And so I pray that as you lead this church to be on mission with this community, that you not spend all of your time in this church, but that you spend time in the community, getting to know people, learning where the hurts are, where the needs are, and beginning to reach out to those people. And then fifth commitment that I I would call you to is a commitment to the faith community. There are other churches in this community. There are other churches in our state. They may not have Baptist as a part of their doctrine, but they're part of the kingdom. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to reach out to them. We need to partner together. We need to work with them and be a part of the community of faith in Ketchikan and around the world. These are just a couple of recommendations that I would make to you as I conclude here this morning. That's first of all, and this is more personal to you as a a person. I would encourage you to find someone who can mentor you. Now, Alan, you may already have somebody like that in your life. And if you do, praise God. I have found in my years those men that uh, have been sort of my heroes in the faith, men that I could go to and that I could talk to and that could encourage me, that I could ask questions to and to help me as I grew as a minister. So I pray that you have that person and if not, that you would find somebody who could mentor you. I pray that you could find somebody who can hold you accountable to the things that God has called you to do. You may already have that accountability partner, but if you haven't, it might be that mentor. It may be somebody else that's just that person that you can sit down and have coffee with and just pour your heart out to and know that they're going to keep it in confidence and that they can challenge you and question you on some of the things that you need to hold dear in your life. I pray that you can find someone that you can mentor. Somebody that's needing your, dire- your direction, that you can work with one-on-one, perhaps in a discipleship relationship to encourage them so that they can grow in their faith. That's important for you to have that one-on-one contact, as well as the contact that you have as you stand before these people and proclaim the gospel each and every week. I encourage you to remember that the church is not the building. Don't hide within the walls. Of this place, It's very easy for a pastor to spend lots of time in sermon preparation and doing those things and, and never venture out beyond those walls to stay in your office. I encourage you to get out into this community. A, a statement that I've heard here recently as we had to close our churches is the church has left the building. And you know, that's a good thing. It's not always a bad thing. Sometimes we get so comfortable in the church that we don't go out into the community. And so it's important that we leave the building so we can be out and be salt and light in our community. And then finally, I would just encourage you to train up your people. Don't feel like you have to be the one who does all the ministry. God didn't call you to be the only one to minister in this community. He called you to be the shepherd, to shepherd his ministers and to prepare them, to train them so that they can go out into their community and reach out to these people. I want to just share this passage of Scripture with you. And and I know you've probably read this before, Alan, but I think it's a good reminder again. This is uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul was speaking to his young uh, mentee in the gospel, Timothy. And he shares these words in, in chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. For this reason, we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe so command and teach these things don't let anyone despise your youth but set an example for the believers in speech in conduct in love in faith and in purity and until i come give your attention to public reading exhortation and teaching and do not neglect the gift that is in you that's my challenge to you today, Alan. And we want—Sid's going to uh, come—and we want to offer a word of prayer, just blessing you and encouraging you as you step into this role of responsibility. And so, uh, can we just all stand here? That those that are in the sanctuary here today, and I'm going to ask Sid if he would begin, and then I'll close our prayer time as we pray for a blessing for <clears throat> Brother Alan.
1: Father, we thank you so much for the process by which you worked to bring Alan's name to the attention of the search team. We thank you, Lord, that he had a heart already to want to come to Alaska, that you call him out, strange across all these miles that you reached down and you called him out to be the pastor of this church. The church felt the leadership to call him and he felt the leadership to accept that. And so God has brought together pastor and church in a very special way and we give you thanks for that. And we pray that as church, And as a pastor, you'll be able to work together in the days ahead to lead this church, to lead these people to be all that God wants them to be and to be a blessing to them. And we pray it in Jesus' name.
0: Yes, Father, as we come to you during this time, and even though we are separated, Father, not able to be face-to-face, we reach out our hands, Father, to lay on this dear brother who's coming to serve in this leadership role, with Whitecliff Church. And Father, we thank you for their family. We thank you, first of all, for salvation that you've brought about in, in their lives, Father, and the way that you have worked in amazing ways, Father, to bring them together as a family, to bless them with these sweet, dear children that you're giving them. And Father, to lead them into this role of leadership in this community. Father, we pray your blessing on them. Father, we pray that you would give them wisdom, give them insight and and boldness father even beyond the years of ministry that they have father for we know that uh, they're beginning this this uh, road this journey of ministering and leadership in the local church and so father I pray that you would bless them in a special way keep them healthy father give them opportunity to connect with people in this community father and to to lift up the members of this church and the members of this community as they seek to reach out and share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ Father, we thank you for them. We pray your special blessings on them. We ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen.
1: We want now to officially install you, Allen, as a pastor of this church. Amen. We're thankful for God's call upon you. We're thankful for your accepting that call. And we want to install you officially as a pastor now of White Cliff Church. Church, show him how glad you are. Amen. Hallelujah. I've got a key, Alan, that I'm going to pass along to you so that you (laughs) can get into this building and get started soon.
2: God bless you. Amen. God bless you, Alan. Good morning, Whitecliffe Church. I cannot tell you um, how happy we are to be in Ketchikan, be back in Alaska uh brother ben and the praise team uh that was wonderful uh you may or may not know but doxology is a song we sing regularly in our house it was very fitting uh my kids eyes lit up when we started singing it so thank you there uh randy as uh, we talk about this morning uh so excited that you were able to come down wish that uh we could hang out but uh providence of god it's not the way that it looks like it's going to go and uh pastor sid thank you so much for your leadership and guidance uh, these past months, conversations, emails, and the the help that you've been to me and the help that you have been to the church. And to the church, uh, thank you for everything you have done. Uh, men that have worked on the parsonage, people that brought food to the house and that are bringing food to the house. I asked Johanna if there was a way that um, we could know who brought what so we could say thank you. And she said so many people have uh, given that there's just no way. So thank you. Um, in this last few weeks, both leaving Kansas City and coming to Ketchikan, I have been reminded anew of the glory of the local church. Um, I don't know how non-believers could do something like this. They could move during this time without the local church. And um, I just want to encourage you that people notice, our kids notice, um, when the local church is pulling together to care for us. Our unbelieving family um, have just been in awe at your generosity. So thank you. But we live in an interesting time, don't we? It's already been said this morning. When uh, you're in seminary and you're thinking about your first pastorate, what the first Sunday is going to look like, um, this isn't exactly how you think it's going to go when you're sitting in your living room staring at a uh, computer screen. But God has been gracious through it all. We live in interesting times, not just because of COVID-19. We live in a time that desperately needs the gospel. We live in a place and time, arguably, when the Western church needs a return to Scripture, to the Bible. We live in a time when many churches have abandoned the teachings of Scripture to attract members. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, my wife and I were watching a documentary on this very subject, the subject of worship. Um, And one of the uh, people they were interviewing said something very profound. He said that in a consumer world... When you start to lose consumers the marketers go back and look and say what does the consumer want to try and attract people but the church has forgotten who the true consumer is that it's not people that it's god and it's him that we should be faithful to we live in a time of flying pastors pastors that come in uh suspended by ropes we live in a time of dancing stormtroopers during worship we live in a time when Popular pastors say we should get rid of 75% of the Bible to be less offensive. Entertainment, business growth, um, paradigms seem to be supreme in the local church. So this morning, for this installation service, um, I would like for us to look briefly at what scripture has to say, answering the question, what is faithful gospel ministry in the local church? And I apologize, my, my kids are here in the living room, so you might hear them uh, during the sermon. But we want to look and answer the question, what is faithful gospel ministry in the local church? Now, this is not going to be a comprehensive kind of systematic theology drawing from all of Scripture. Uh, but I want to look at Second Timothy, chapter 3 going into chapter 4. Um, this is a text that is very significant to me. When I was a young new believer and was studying the Bible, this text always intrigued me. And I remember distinctly um, saying to my wife, you know, I'm not a preacher. I don't have a desire to be a preacher, but this text is so prophetic and I would read it often, but I'd say, I don't want to be a preacher and God had other plans. But second Timothy is Paul's final letter to his disciple. Timothy is Randy's already mentioned this morning about their relationship. And one commentator wrote that in second Timothy never does the apostle shine in a more nobler light and never was the message of second Timothy Needed more than today. He goes on to title the letter, the true pastor and his reactions. In the verses just prior to the one we're going to read today, Paul tells Timothy that in these last days, there are going to be times of difficulty. Um, I'll just read a few of the things he says. He says, in the last days, there will be people that are lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And if you think maybe this doesn't apply to our culture, I just invite you get on social media, look at a COVID-19 post and read all the comments. People are just they're just pent up right now. Look at look at the news and you'll see How this applies to our culture But despite the culture Paul tells Timothy Follow my example Pursue holiness Hold firm to sound doctrine To biblical teaching And so if you're not already there I invite you to turn in your Bible to 2 Timothy Chapter 3 We're going to start in verse 16 And go to uh, Verse 5 in chapter 4 2 Timothy 3 Verse 16 All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. In these verses, we find three indispensable navigational aids for local church ministry. First, God-breathed scripture is sufficient for the life of the church. Second, God-breathed scripture must be the consistent diet of the church. And third, God-breathed scripture will be rejected by those who prefer the wisdom of the world, but the faithful will stand fast. Again, in these verses, we find three indispensable navigational aids for local church ministry. God-breathed scripture is sufficient for the life of the church. God-breathed scripture must be the consistent diet of the church. And God-breathed scripture will be rejected by those who prefer the wisdom of the world, but the faithful will stand fast. So first, God-breathed scripture is sufficient for the life of the church. Now, oftentimes, when we have an issue, we are quick to run out and buy the latest book on the subject. And I am king of this as well, right? Like 14 steps uh, to... Shorten your sermon prep or 12 ways that you can grow your church. Just ten ninety nine. It's less than a buck a point. It's quite the deal. And now I'm not knocking books. Um, I hope that our container shipping container will be here tomorrow, and I will make many trips up those steps carrying boxes of books. But what does the, po- the apostle say here? Look with me at verse 16 and 17. He says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Notice that Paul said complete. He didn't say, Timothy, this is a good starting spot, and then you can graduate to other things. Or this is a good springboard into other things. He says complete, equipped. Now, I like to read guys like J.I. Packer, John Owen, um, J.C. Ryle on holiness. You may not be familiar with those names, but they've written books about holiness and they are good but here we see that the apostle says that scripture is indeed sufficient to pursue godliness for the christian to pursue holiness and all these other books are going to be supplemental to god-breathed scripture a good way to illustrate this a year ago i was taking a class in seminary as you know i just graduated um, on church administration and reading a book i actually know the author is a is a good godly man so i'm not down knocking him at all but he kind of came from a business world and so his book was very business model and i was really struggling with an aspect of how to deal with someone who was performing substandard and he had this uh model where it was like you give them 30 days a yellow slip another 30 days a pink slip and this kind of stuff and i remember sitting with my pastor who is also a seminary professor and saying it just doesn't seem like true church discipleship and i remember Him looking me in the eye across from Coffee at Panera and saying, I believe that Scripture, that the New Testament is sufficient for the life of the church, which is, you know, how I got the title for my first point. And I believe that as well. So often in the church, we complicate the church with the latest and greatest business models when what we really need is to engulf ourselves, to plumb the depths of Scripture and apply that to how we act in the local church, to how we react to use that commentator's uh, verbiage. Now, anticipating the argument, some people will say, are you saying the Bible is all we need? Like, um, you know, there's nothing in the Bible about how to balance my checkbook or how to uh, perform surgery. And And no, I'm not saying that there's no wisdom outside of the text, but this is the way I frame it in my mind and it might be helpful for you. If I were to ask you, who is the greatest being in all the universe or anywhere, you would, I hope say, god and so what is the greatest instruction that we could have and it would be well his word and so anything any other wisdom any other instruction is below god's word and should be viewed through the lens of god's word i'm quite certain that mds know more about the human body than i do but the bible does help us understand a biblical ethic and so we can reject some things in their world. Um, That maybe are not biblical Second God breathed scripture Must be the consistent diet of the church Look with me back at verses 1 and 2 I charge you in the presence of God And of Christ Jesus Who is to judge the living and the dead And by his appearing And his kingdom Preach the word Be ready in season and out of season Reprove, rebuke, and exhort With complete patience and teaching Here, Paul charges Timothy, preach the word. Not felt needs, not social issues, not any fill in the blank thing we could think of. But Timothy, preach the word. He's saying, deliver what God has said to his people. Feed my sheep with my food. Preach the word. Friends, you don't need Alan McElroy's uh, helpful tips to live a fuller life. In fact, you could probably find much better on the Internet. Friend, what you need is the gospel. Even if you're a believer, you need to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ from his word. And Paul tells Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season when you feel like it and when you don't, when it's hard, when it's easy, when people like you and when they don't preach the word, which brings us to our final point. Third, God-breathed scripture will be rejected by those who prefer the wisdom of the world, but the faithful will stand fast. Look with me at verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Really, these verses speak to themselves. They don't need a a whole lot of unpacking. Um, But one thing I think about is a few months ago, I was at a nine marks conference at the seminary. And now it sounds kind of weird to think about being in a large room with a whole bunch of people listening to someone talk about local church ministry. But um, there I was back in February. And we were listening to this pastor from uh, California, and he was telling a story about sitting in a coffee shop and he was doing sermon prep. And I think if I remember correctly, he was kind of low or whatever and said two college age females came in and sat down. um, And one of them looked at the other and said, do you want to pray or should I? And said immediately his his heart kind of fluttered. And he said, Oh, there is hope. Like there, you know, there's people out here. He said, but then his heart immediately dropped. When one of them said, oh, I forgot my crystals. Did you bring yours? And apparently this is a thing. Like our culture, which claims to be secular, is not turning to Darwinism or science, but they're turning into myths. That there's a whole thing now that's rising up where people are praying to healing crystals for power. Um, He also said in that uh, sermon that Wiccans actually bypass in number mainline Presbyterians in America now. We find that people are turning aside into myths. But even within the visible church, we run across those who will push the Bible aside as antiquated and irrelevant. Churches are accepting unbiblical lifestyles. Evangelical pastors I read a couple of weeks ago, or now some of them, are supporting abortions. A prominent pastor went on national TV a few years ago, within the last 10 years, and said that Churches who appeal to 2,000-year-old documents are going to be even more irrelevant than they were before. The list goes on. But what does Paul say to Timothy? Don't make waves? Or on the other end of the spectrum, does he say get on social media and wrangle with these folks? You know, scream at them? No. He says, be sober-minded. Endure. Proclaim the gospel. Do the work of an evangelist. Be faithful. Preach the word. In today's scripture, we see that there are three indispensable navigational aids for local church ministry. God-breathed scripture is sufficient for the life of the church. God-breathed scripture must be the consistent diet of the church. And God-breathed scripture will be rejected by those who prefer the wisdom of the world, but the faithful will stand fast. Friends, we don't want to just use the Bible, right? Cults use the Bible. False teachers use the Bible. Satan used scripture to try And trick Jesus when he was tempted. But we want to be rooted. And grounded. In God's word. We want to be saturated. With God's word. We White Cliff Church needs a Bible. Saturated ministry. Not just using the Bible to say what we want. Not just using the Bible as like a springboard. To go on to some conversation that we want to have. But we need to read the Bible in its original context. And we want to let the Bible drive what we believe as charles spurgeon once said about john bunyan he said if he was so thoroughly biblical that if you pricked him anywhere he would bleed scripture and that is my prayer for us that we would be biblical like that it is in the scripture that we learn the attributes of the father and his redemptive plan it is in the scriptures that we read the gospel and see how all of the bible points to christ jesus is the crux of redemptive history The spirit who leads us into all truth illuminates scripture that we might grow in our knowledge of of God. So normally at this part of a sermon, this is where we get to an application, right? So this is what scripture says, and this is how we should live in light of it. Well, today the application is for me. By God's grace, I will strive to seek to lead and to serve this church by letting scripture guide me in all discipleship, in all outreach and fellowship and prayer of the local church. By God's grace, I will diligently study the word each week to feed the flock. By God's grace, I will place other wisdom under a biblical lens so that scripture reigns supreme. Along with these three things, the things that Randy mentioned earlier, um, I ask that you pray these things for me. Charles Spurgeon once told his congregation if they uh, ever cease to pray for him, that they should let him know so that he could quit because he desperately needed their prayers. And I echo that sentiment. Pray these things for me. I I ask, and I pray for you know that. And I don't mean that just in a, well, I've mentioned Whitecliff church as a whole in my prayers, but I I pray through the church membership weekly more when I can. And I have been ever since you've called me. So your name, your children's names know this is on my lips in prayer, at least once a week, if not more. And just kind of a, to echo this um, scripture sentiment, let you know where we're going. So it is my philosophy to preach through books of the Bible. Let that context uh, drive the sermons. So next week, we will start a sermon series in First Peter. <laughs> we will start a sermon series in First Peter and then toggle back and forth between Old Testament and New Testament. Um, after First Peter, we'll start a series in Jonah. There will be a few topical sermons throughout the year, but for the most part, we're going to walk through books of the Bible. With that being said, I want to pray for us um, as a church, and using Scripture as our guide, I want to first pray through Psalm 67, a short psalm, and then close with some other thoughts. So would you pray for me? Pray with me. Eternal God, be gracious to us and bless us. Make your face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on the earth, that your saving power among the nations. Let the people praise you, O Lord. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the people with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the people praise you, O Lord. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God, we pray you bless us. God, we thank you for your word, your perfect and errant scriptures. I pray that we always treasure them. I pray that as a body we would abide in your word, that we would seek to know you more through them, that your scriptures would equip us for ministry. God, I ask that you sanctify us, deliver us from any idleness, from any carelessness, from any foolishness, or indwelling sin. God, prepare us for every task and trial that lays ahead. Father, we praise you for the cross, that Christ has taken our sins and given us his righteousness, that our sins were nailed to the cross and we can boldly come before you through his blood. I ask that you give us boldness to proclaim that truth in Ketchikan, that we would proclaim that you sent your only son, who has always existed, to earth, wrapped himself in flesh, but still maintaining his divinity, 100% God, 100% man. He walked the life that we could not, died for our sins on a cross, was buried, resurrected, and right now is at your right hand in bodily form. We ask that you use Whitecliff Church to glorify yourself in Ketchikan. Draw people to yourself. All glory to him who has freed us by shedding his blood for us. And it's for his sake we pray. Amen.